The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 6 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is Mental Health Commission of Canada Guidelines for Family Caregiving, where the guidelines are applied to schizophrenia. Now, family caregiving for family members living with schizophrenia is an ongoing challenge for family caregivers because, first, schizophrenia is a serious mental illness, and, second, just as important, family caregiving is such an important part of care for schizophrenia. Now, schizophrenia most often appears uh, in men in their late teens or early 20s and in women in their late 20s or early 30s. It's characterized by what are called psychotic symptoms, which involve difficulties in maintaining contact with reality, which may include hallucinations, which is hearing voices or seeing, seeing things that are not based in reality, delusions, which are distorted, false beliefs and disorganized thought processes, and false memories. Uh, schizophrenia interferes with a person's ability to think clearly, manage emotions, make decisions and relate to others. Schizophrenia impairs a person's ability to function to their potential when it is not properly treated. And schizophrenia has no single form of treatment, which is often complex and must be individualized. Challenges for family caregivers arise, for example, when the family member is in the care of a hospital or long-term care facility, when the family, care, family member is being cared for at home, when the family member is being cared for at home and the family caregiver has a job, has work. Family, when the family caregiver, family member is living on the street and when the family member is caught up with the police. All of which is why our topic, Mental Health Commission of Canada Guidelines for Family Caregiving Applied to Schizophrenia, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Ella Amir. Ella has been Executive Director of AMI Quebec since 1990. Under her leadership, the organization has become one of the principal sources in Quebec for families struggling to cope with mental illness. She was the chair of the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee for the Mental Health Commission of Canada since its inception in 2007 and until 2012. She led the development of the Commission's National Guidelines for Comprehensive Service System to support family caregivers of adults with mental health problems and illnesses, which was a blueprint 
for a comprehensive system of care to support family caregivers across the country. She's now a member of the Commission's Advisory Council. She holds the PhD in Psychology and Applied Human Sciences from Concordia University and an MBA from McGill University. So welcome to the show, Ella. Thank you very much. Now, Ella, first off, please tell us more about your work as Executive Director of AMI Quebec as it relates to schizophrenia. Ella? Yes. Um, well, you know, I have been uh, at the helm of AMI Quebec for the past 25 years. And as you have mentioned, um, we focus uh, predominantly on the needs of caregivers, of families, friends, and other people who create the circle of support uh, for people with different mental illnesses. In that sense, I should say that uh, we don't uh, discriminate among uh, diagnoses, and we uh, respect any caregiver who comes here uh, with the need for support, information, etc. So whatever I will be saying is uh, relevant to any kind of mental illness. And of course, in schizophrenia uh, is such a difficult, uh, often such a difficult and uh, sometimes chronic conditions, uh, caregivers uh, for people with schizophrenia uh, are a very important uh, constituency uh, in our organization. Right. Now, please tell us more about your work with the Mental Health Commission of Canada as that relates to schizophrenia. Ella? Yeah. Well, you know, so again, uh, when the Mental Health Commission of Canada started in 2007, uh, it aimed at uh, looking at the uh, healthcare system and the services for people with mental illnesses, especially, and also for, for, for caregivers, uh, throughout the continuum of mental illness. So again, schizophrenia has a very respectable uh, place here, unfortunately, uh, because, uh, or unfortunately, I should say, because schizophrenia is such in um, a difficult condition that uh, requires uh, our attention and certainly the services that uh, the Commission is um, uh, encouraging to implement. Right. Now, Ella, back in 2015, that is this year, the Mental Health Commission of Canada published um, a document, big one, called Taking the Caregiver Guidelines Off the Shelf Mobilization Toolkit. Then back in 2013, it published the National Guidelines for a Comprehensive Service System to support family caregivers and adults with mental health problems and illnesses. Ella, please tell us about the way these publications relate to each other, especially for schizophrenia. Ella? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I would uh, maybe just to, to give a brief history of the uh, evolution of these guidelines, of these two documents. Um, you know, as I, as I have mentioned earlier, in 2007, the commission uh, got the green light uh, to start looking in depth into the uh, issue related to mental health in the country. And it created eight advisory committees. One of them was the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee, and I was privileged to be asked to chair this committee. I'm saying it because I think that it was uh, important to mention that even though I think that the attention to caregiver-related issues 
uh, still needed to be um, uh, put on the front burner, uh, I think that the Commission had the wisdom to create one of its eight advisory committees as a Family Caregivers Advisory Committee. But as I said also earlier, this didn't necessarily mean that caregivers have received their due attention. And I think that the uh, work of the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee, which lasted until two years ago, when all the advisory committees have been dismantled and were uh, replaced with the Advisory Council. So the work of the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee was really to bring caregiver, caregiving-related issues from the back burner to the front burner. And the guidelines that you are not just referring to, and Obviously, the follow-up, um, the, the uh, toolkit that we uh, developed was really the highlight, uh, if I uh, may, uh, of the work of the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee. The uh, toolkit has been developed uh, when the Family Caregivers Advisory Committee has been no longer uh, in effect, but uh, I have been and a couple of other people from the former uh, advisory committee uh, have been involved uh, uh, deeply, uh, intensely in the development of this toolkit. So um, I think that it's important to say that because historically, uh, family caregivers have been really uh, marginalized. And, you know, I don't know if necessarily it was an intention to marginalize them, but they have not received the attention that they deserve and require. And when I talk about attention, we can talk a little bit later about it, but this is exactly what the guidelines are meant to accomplish. Now, let me just follow up with you uh, on a word, that is caregiver, because... In Canada, and certainly in some parts of Canada, the word caregiver includes family caregivers, but it also includes professional caregivers, such as personal service workers. And if I may be a political for a moment, uh, and I'd like to comment on this, um, personal service workers do great work, but they're paid to do it, whereas in general, family caregivers do great work, but they're not paid paid to do it. How, how do you bring, first of all, do you agree with my analysis? And secondly, how do you bring that into the discussion? Ella? Yeah, well, you know, this is a very good point. And, you know, I think that uh, we are talking really about terminology. We call caregivers to families or friends or anyone else who cares sufficiently about someone with mental health challenges who belongs to the circle of support of this person. And uh, we are very clear that we are talking about unpaid caregivers. I think that it's very interesting also to mention that, um, you know, in, in other countries, uh, caregivers are uh, called differently. For example, in Australia and in, in the UK, uh, they don't call family caregivers caregivers. They call them carriers. And I have to say that, you know, I've been involved uh, with some work that was done uh, internationally. It, it has been a, a process for me to wrap my head around uh, the, 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 the concept of carers. But I started to like this concept because I think that, you know, sometimes people here don't necessarily like to be called 
caregivers because it really does have a connotation of service providers, which we really tried to uh, to differentiate. And you know, carers are really people who do care about someone with any kind of challenges. And um, but but you know, the caring doesn't necessarily being translated into active caregiving. So, you know, I think that it may be a bit uh, softer terminology to use. But again, going back to what you say, I think that it's very true. Service providers, we are talking about people who are paid to do their job, and uh, uh, caregivers or carers are the unpaid army who provides this support. Ella, thank you. And on that uh, very important and socially significant point that you've just made, thank you. We're going to take the break. This is where I always say we have to pay the rent, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Athalia. My guest is Dr. Ella Amir. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Dr. Ella Amir. Our topic is Mental Health Commission of Canada Guidelines for Family Caregiving Applied to Schizophrenia. Um, Ella, now let's talk about challenges that can arise for family caregivers or carers 
whose family members living with schizophrenia are receiving care from a psychiatric or psychiatry department in a hospital. So that's what we want to focus on right now. So first question then is, please give us an example of a challenge that can arise or may arise for family caregivers in getting from hospitals information about their family members living with schizophrenia who are receiving care from a hospital psychiatry department. Ella? Okay, uh, you know, maybe the, the first thing that I should uh, say as a preamble is that when uh, these guidelines uh, were developed, uh, they were uh, earmarked specifically for uh, service providers, for um, uh, policy planners, for decision makers, and so on and so forth. It was really for them, you know, with the intention that if they will follow the recommendations, there are 41 recommendations in these guidelines, uh, they uh, will help to improve the system of care for people, for, for caregivers. Um, but I, I think that it's important also to note that um, we realized from the very beginning that even though these guidelines is a very comprehensive and very interesting document, I believe, um, it is not very likely that uh, policy makers and decision makers are going uh, voluntarily to pick up this document and decide to implement one recommendation or another. We have realized that it's probably family caregivers themselves, either as individuals or more likely uh, in, as part of family associations or uh, special committees who are likely to drive the implementation of these recommendations. So uh, the hospital is probably a very good place to start. And again, you know, whoever uh, wants to take a look at these guidelines, uh, we have divided it up into a few categories. So it would be a little easier for the uh, interested uh, person to look up to the recommendations which are relevant to, to, relevant to his own uh, specific situation. So hospitals, for example, there are a number of uh, recommendations that are relevant to uh, the time that a loved one is uh, being in the hospital. And as you mentioned, caregivers who come with someone uh, in crisis to the hospital, whether it's going to be the first time or, you know, a few years later, very often do not receive sufficient information about what's happening with the person, what is likely to be the course of the illness, what would be the discharge planning, and so on and so forth. So a number of recommendations refer to the improvement of this information, education, and guidance in the hospital, and also referring caregivers to uh, organizations outside of the community that would be able to complement this support and guidance and uh, follow up with these uh, caregivers as long as they require. Now, let me just ask you a little bit more about the notion of the toolkit. Who in the situation you're talking about is the toolkit really intended for? Well, that is, yep. Yeah, go ahead. That is a situation where, and it does happen, and I hear a lot, a lot of this uh, when I'm interviewing, you know, family caregivers. Um, I want to speak with the psychiatrist uh, because I think there's something important about my family member that the psychiatrist should know. 
but the psychiatrist will not take my call. And when I, <laughs> I was going to use the word agitate, but that's a little going a bit too strongly. But when I, the family caregiver, start to ask why, I'm told that it's a matter of confidentiality and that um, they can't provide me with the information. Now, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh, but is that a sort of situation that you've heard about, you recognize, and that your toolkit addresses? Too often that I can, you know, care to, you know, count. This is such a... Um uh, um, a regular comment that we are hearing from family caregivers, and this is in, in part the reason for these guidelines. Uh, I think that confidentiality issue is a very complex issue, but I think that the, the good psychiatrist could probably work with the uh, desire to protect the, uh, uh, the privacy of, uh, of the patient and at the same time provide whatever information he can uh, uh, share with the caregivers in order for the caregivers to be able to uh, to accompany the patient on his uh, journey of recovery. So I think that there is really, it's very easy to say, well, you know, for reason of confidentiality, we cannot share any information with you. But I think that there is a middle way where privacy can be protected and caregivers can be shared the information that they require. And, you know, I can say, you know, uh, caregivers are not really interested in the, in the more, most intimate uh, a life of their relatives. They want to know how to uh, help the person to take medications if need be. They want to know how to encourage him to, you know, to try new things or maybe to uh, slow the pace or whatever the case may be. You know, if we recognize that caregivers can be a critical link in the journey of recovery, I think that it's very important to help caregivers to, you know, to, 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 to improve their skills in so doing. So, as I said, again, there are a number of uh, recommendations in the guidelines that refer to exactly these situations. Right. right. Yeah, go ahead. Now, I'm just going to stop you there because that, what you've just said takes me directly to the next question I'd like to ask you, which is specifically, what recommendations does the mobilization toolkit offer, obviously, to carers, family caregivers, for approaching hospitals and their psychiatry departments when there is the kind of problem that you've been talking about, that is a refusal to converse, to listen because of privacy issues. So what's the mobilization toolkit got to offer in the way of help for family right. caregivers? Right. You know, first of all, I have to say that, you know, the mobilization toolkit is really basically a, um, a compilation of tools that are uh, people who are interested to implement the guidelines can fall back on and try to uh, help their process of uh, conversation with either the hospital or the community or police officers, whoever the case may be. So it's, it's really uh, these two documents are uh, intimately uh, aligned with each other. It's basically the guidelines is the concept and the toolkit is the implementation, is really the practical, uh, the practical uh, recommendations on how to go about it. 
Um, I'll start with just uh, maybe one example that I like to give because I think that this is such an important um, uh, example of a recommendation. Uh, we know that very often caregivers come to family associations a long time after they have been struggling to cope with mental illness on their own, for whatever reasons that we don't really have to um, uh, go into right now. But this is, this is the reality, we know that. We know also that if we will be able to offer help, support, information, etc., as early as possible and as close to the crisis as possible, many family caregivers will, could benefit. You know, again, this is not necessarily a panacea because when uh, caregivers come or family comes with a loved one to the hospital with a first episode, with a first crisis, it is very often uh, a hope that it will be just one time, it will go away, it just, you know, there is really nothing to worry about. So not all caregivers are ready uh, to receive support as soon as they come to the hospital. But at least if we have what we are recommending, a peer helper, a peer, family peer support worker, in the ER, in the emergency ward of the hospital, when people in crisis are coming in, and this person will be able to, um, to, to attend to the needs of the family, whatever these needs may be, we believe that it's going to be um, a great service, not only to the family caregivers, but ultimately to the person who is sick and also to the, uh, to the hospital. That's very strong and very clear. Now, just a very quick um, expansion of this. Uh, here, particularly mothers of teenagers or young adults are very often, in what, according to what I've learned, the first to recognize that something may be going wrong. That is, maybe there's a psychotic uh, episode coming on. Maybe the young person is on street drugs. You know, those kind of serious concerns. And the mother is, so far as I can tell, most likely to be the first person to recognize that. And therefore, the mother's instinct, as I understand it, is to make sure that the healthcare system is aware of this. And that's sometimes where they come across this, sorry, we can't talk to you confidentiality. Any quick comments about that, Ella? Well, you know, I think that it's, uh, generally speaking, you are probably right. I think that uh, as mothers are often more intimately involved in, in caregiving in general or in parenting in general, even though I think that it's changing uh, nowadays, uh, it is probably very likely that mothers uh, will be more uh, sensitive and more, you know, uh, 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 fast or quick uh, to detect something that may be uh, wrong. But even then, uh, I think that there is a, a, a great uh, variety because I think that if people are not aware of what may be um, just, you know, uh, symptoms of uh, uh, just puberty or adolescence, which comes with all kinds of challenges. If people don't know to differentiate between these uh, behaviors and what may be a, uh, a precursor to mental illness, it is not necessarily expected that they will uh, go somewhere to check it out and to try to, uh, to, to, to offer help uh, in their cases. So I think that we are really uh, talking about public awareness, you know, not only for the care caregiver themselves, but uh, 
being uh, up the awareness of mental illness and mental health related issues to the public at large. So if it's not the mother who is necessarily going to detect it or to think that there is something wrong, it may be the teacher, you know, in the classroom, or it may be a friend. So I, I think that, again, we are really tr trying to target specific um, audiences, uh, but I think that we can't really uh, forget that just having a better understanding and better awareness on the part of the public of what mental illnesses are and what mental health-related challenges are, um, I, I, I think that we will be amissed. Right. Just, just a quick one-word summary back to you. What you've highlighted is an educational need for the wider community. And we're going to talk a little bit more about things of that nature in the next uh, segment because we've come to the time again where we have to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Averley and my guest is Dr. Ella Amir. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Be part of the inner revolution sweeping the planet. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green on the Voice America Variety Channel. And now also enjoy Beth's channel, Inner Revolutionary TV, on VoiceAmerica.tv. See inspiring videos about our guests and the inner revolution. Hear commentaries that will help clarify our time. And watch interviews of people who will matter to you. Think outside the box. Watch Interrevolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Ella Amir. Our topic is Mental Health Commission of Canada Guidelines for Family Caregiving Applied to Schizophrenia. Ella, now please, let's talk about the challenges in working with police services that can arise for family caregivers caring for family members living with schizophrenia. So please, Ella, give us an example of a challenge in working with police services that can arise for family caregivers, as I say, family caregivers or caring for family members living with schizophrenia. Ella? 
Well, you know, we were talking uh, uh, earlier about the need to have uh, better education about mental illness in the public. And I think that police officers are just one example uh, of a uh, of uh, service providers who are very often not sufficiently uh, well informed about mental illness. So, you know, this is exactly what we are referring to when uh, in the guidelines there are a couple uh, of uh, recommendations that refer to the need to develop or enhance uh, mental health training programs to police officers uh, and emphasizing uh, working with and responding to family caregivers. I have to say again that, you know, in small pockets, even here locally in Montreal, but I, I can imagine that in other uh, communities as well, uh, you already notice uh, that there is an, a, a growing attention uh, to this very important issue. So there is some training uh, on mental health to, to police officers. As far as I know here in Montreal, uh, it is still a voluntary training. So there is really no obligation on the part of, of, of police officers uh, to receive this training. And I think that it's really important. Um, and again, because very often it is the police who is the bridge between the family and the hospital, uh, it is really important that, that police officers will uh, feel comfortable dealing with mental illness-related issues and also uh, help the family, first of all, you know, to, to maybe to, um, uh, to, to reduce their anxiety and their uh, very often uh, being overwhelmed as a result of crisis. And uh, to this day, it's not sufficiently done. Now, I'd like to just press you on this same question um, in a slight, in a more uncomfortable way. Um, it's this, that here in Ontario, and I think across North America, um, young people particularly, young adults, exhibiting um, psychosis, um, suffering from schizophrenia, are at risk of being shot to death by the police. The newspapers are carrying these stories more and more. Um, in what way do you see the, an additional need, if there is one, for the training of police to not shoot uh, or not shoot so readily? Hello? Well, you know, I think that this is an exact example of what I was referring to earlier. I think that there is, uh, um, you know, the lightness with which it seems sometimes that police are taking um, a, an irreversible action uh, because the, the because I, I believe that they are really scared. There is a fear that uh, they, they may be uh, threatened, but exactly because of the lack of understanding of what of what this behavior may mean, uh, but this is what we see. And I think that there is a tragic increase in this incidence. I'm not even looking, you know, south of the border to see how many uh, 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 how many episodes like that have uh, been happening in the United States, and this is not only what we are hearing of, but even here in Montreal, in, you know, in Canada, there is a growing prevalence of this kind of uh, incidents, and I think that it is absolutely tragic, and I think that it's absolutely unnecessary. So I think that once police officers are going to be better uh, um, educated and understand better 
the, uh, the, the, the potential outcomes of, uh, of symptoms of, of, or the behaviors of people with mental illness, uh, I, I think that we would be able to reduce to a large extent uh, this tragic event because I think that, you know, the way police officers will treat these people may very well be very different. Right. Now, I'm going to go to the same question I asked you before by asking you to summarize for us the recommendations that the mobilization toolkit offers for family caregivers working with police services. Um, having one eye, Ella, please, on what you've just been saying about the need for more and better education, about judging situations which appear to be dangerous to the police, but which require handling in a more sensitive way. So what are those recommendations? Hello? Well, you know, I, I gave uh, one example, uh, which is really very important, is really to develop training um, uh, programs for police officers. I think that this is probably the beginning and the end. If police officers will be well informed, I think that we will see a, you know, a sea of change in their uh, conduct. But, you know, another example is supporting police officers uh, to develop protocols for, so they can offer support to family caregivers that witness uh, a relative uh, being apprehended. Um, for example, if they can refer them to victim services and so on and so forth. This is another example. And I doubt uh, that today uh, uh, police officers uh, have the capacity to do that. Now, let me go a little bit further in the thing into the things that the mobilization toolkit does offer just highlight those for us bearing in mind the very acute analysis you've just given us but also looking at the other things that police get involved with what does the in summary the mobilization toolkit have to say to police or people who are wanting to work with police okay yeah well you know i think that again the mobilization toolkit uh, you know, I said earlier that the guidelines is really was developed specifically with an attention to people who can change the system. The toolkit was de was designed uh, specifically to appeal to family to, to family associations and to individuals who are interested, so they can go to the police, or they can go to the psychiatry department, or they can go to the workplace and try to mobilize the uptake of these, uh, of these recommendations. So it's not really the, the mobilizing toolkit doesn't really offer solutions. The mobilizing toolkit is really a uh, suggested process with all kinds of uh, uh, devices that could help uh, with the process. Uh, you know, if I may, I, I would like to say a word about uh, the workplace because I think that this is also very relevant. And, you know, interestingly enough, I just came across a report that was uh, uh, inaugurated yesterday about the challenges that caregivers are facing in the workplace. And again, this is not new to us, but I think that with more reports coming out, I think that it becomes uh, clear that workplaces cannot ignore caregivers any longer. And, you know, just to give you an example, about 60% of caregivers are also working. So they really have shared responsibilities. They have to uh, put very often full-time uh, work, but they also uh, have to carry their caregiving responsibilities. And 35% of the workforce is made up of caregivers. 
in different domains, not only in mental illness. So I think that this is just a very, you know, uh, um, a brief highlight uh, to demonstrate how important it is to pay attention to the needs of caregivers in the workplace and outside of it. Now, also as part of that, um, the family caregivers may find themselves suddenly as an emergency having to call in and say, I can't come to work now because whatever the crisis is that's hit them. Um, how open do you think the world of work, the employers, labor unions, are to the idea that there will be an urgency at times in some family caregivers' lives that need them to be no-shows for work? What do you say? Well, you know, I think that it's a very good question. Uh, and I think that this uh, touches uh, on the importance of designing policies that would uh, that would allow uh, caregivers to take time off or to have flexible working hours or whatever the case may be. So it's not going to be a, you know, a random uh, act of... of, of uh, of kindness on the part of the uh, workplace that will enable the caregivers to uh, be away from their work. You know, it's really interesting because I read very briefly these just highlights of this uh, report from yesterday, and it said that only 42 uh, of the study respondents report that they have the support of the direct manager in their caregiving role. This is really sad, you know, because it's exactly like you say, caregivers often have to uh, meet competing multiple competing demands on their time, on their energy, on their ability to do, you know, all their roles. And, uh, their ch the, you know, the, 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 the challenges are really enormous. And, uh, you know, we know very well that uh, caregivers themselves, we didn't say it yet, but I think that this is very important, that caregivers pay with their own well-being. When caregivers assume caregiving responsibility for a very long time, and when we talk about mental illness, it is very often the case, caregivers themselves have symptoms of depression, anxiety, stress, uh, difficulty to sleep, you name it. So I think that it's really important that, you know, again, we are going back to the, uh, maybe to the beginning, that the whole rationale of supporting caregivers is A, so they can uh, uh, offer the best possible help to their loved ones in, with schizophrenia or any other mental illness, but also in order to mitigate the negative consequences of caregiving and in order to protect their own well-being. Now, I'm just saying we're going to be in the next segment, we're going to be talking about care, family caregivers, and the care they need for themselves. But just let's stay with this question of getting involved with the police and this is very quick um what is happening right across north america is that young adults or teenagers with schizophrenia who are exhibiting some of the behavior the psychotic behaviors um are arrested put in detention centers and because or if their families cannot find the money to pay the bail, bail, these young people are held in detention centers, have not been found guilty of anything, but they are locked away. And the question then comes, what can the justice system do to make sure that they get 
the care they need, even while they're locked away in a detention center. Now, Ella, that's a long, that's a PhD length question <laughs> for you. And you've got a PhD, so you know what I'm referring to. But the, all I would like to hear from you now is whether you think what I've said justifies more discussion. Do you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I think that this is a very good example why intersectoral partnership is critical. Because you're talking about uh, the justice system, but it goes hand in hand with the health and social services system. And if there would be uh, proper services across the board and uh, people from the healthcare system will talk to the people in the justice system, I think that we you know, we can see an improvement in this situation. But I think that it's really important uh, to, to, to recognize that we really have to have a conversation where all the, stake, uh, all the stakeholders sit around the table. Very strong point. Thank you for that. Now, once again, it's time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adler. My guest is Dr. Ella Amir. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Dr. Ella Amir. Our topic is Mental Health Commission of Canada Guidelines for Family Caregiving Applied to Schizophrenia. Ella, now let's talk about something that you mentioned 
in the last segment, which is profoundly important, which is the challenges that can arise for the family caregivers themselves who are caring for family members with schizophrenia. So, Ella, please give us an example of a challenge that can arise for family caregivers, the family caregivers themselves who are caring for family members living with schizophrenia. Ella? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, I think that the challenges are really complex, but I think that maybe the very first, uh, uh, the very first uh, stage is to understand the illness, it is to understand the nature of the illness, uh, the potential recourse of the illness, and also what are the, uh, what can be expected you know, as the illness uh, evolved. So I think that this, we are talking here about a cognitive challenge. Basically, you know, to inform oneself and to educate oneself about schizophrenia, what are the symptoms and so on and so forth. I think that this is a, a very important uh, step. The second step, which is not, uh, not necessarily easier, is to accept the situation that may not um, be aligned with what uh, families uh, have hoped for the loved one. And this is, I say that it's, you know, it's difficult because I think that this is an emotional challenge uh, which uh, may be very difficult for some people and, you know, people's pace in accepting the situation can vary. And uh, again, I think that, you know, uh, in order to accept and in order to come to terms with the illness, I think that people have, first of all, to understand it, to be very, very uh, clear about what the illness is. And then the third uh, stage, if I may, and sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's not really a linear uh, progression, but I think that it really goes hand in hand very often, is the behavior. You know, how, uh, uh, how caregivers, how families... Uh, operate, you know, uh, conduct uh, themselves and how they face the challenges of, uh, uh, of participating in the recovery of, uh, of an ill loved one. So, you know, these are really three components. I was just thinking about it very briefly, that very often uh, people go back and forth until really they come to a place where they feel sufficiently comfortable that they are not uh, bugged down uh, continuously by, uh, by the grief. I, I think that grief is a very important component that we need to recognize. Uh, when, you know, someone has schizophrenia, uh, especially that there is no closure very often because you don't know there can be a remission of a long time, but then there may be a relapse. Caregivers also experience grief, uh, which is very often unending. So, you know, all this uh, presents ongoing challenges to caregivers uh, when they face mental illness. Can I just ask you a quick supplementary, supplementary about the things that they experience? What about guilt? Do family caregivers experience guilt? Tremendous. Tremendous guilt. And again, I think that uh, it varies. I think that the, the, the emotions of people uh, are, you know, varies from one to another. But what we very often um, uh, see is the guilt. Even, and really this is one of the things that we really try to uh, work with families uh, to our best of, you know, our ability, is to remove this sense of guilt. But you know what, I think that this is probably a very common um, uh, emotion that parents go through whenever something wrong happens to their children. The first 
thing to do is to look into it yourself and, and you know, uh, wonder if you have done something wrong. What doesn't help is, of course, that until just a few decades, uh, we still, you know, hang to the held to the schizophrenogenic mother, you know, and the parents are the culprit of mental illness. So I think that there are still lingering effects of this perception, and there are still, I think, uh, professionals sometimes that 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 family caregivers don't feel that they re- that, that they pay them the respect they deserve. So I think that guilt is certainly a big uh, issue. And but I think that if our system if uh, if our system had been more friendly and more compassionate, I think that we could have probably uh, helped to reduce the sense of uh, of guilt. Now I'm just going to ask you whether the mobilization toolkit addresses those issues for family caregivers that you've just been talking about. Um, Is the mobilization toolkit the place to go either for family caregivers who are experiencing what you've been talking about or for those who want to work with them and help them? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I want to believe that we have addressed all the issues that caregivers uh, are faced with. Um, you know, the uh, development of the guidelines had taken into consideration a lot of our experience, of course, but there was a literature review, there were focus groups, we went to consult with people with mental illness, with caregivers, with service providers, with policymakers. So we really I believe, I, I, I believe that we have a you know, all-round um, comprehensive document that addresses all these issues. And all these issues are also um, uh, embedded into the recommendations as, uh, as um, uh, possible improvements uh, uh, for caregivers. So the, the, the issues of guilt and of grief and how to deal with your uh, with the need to set uh, boundaries, to set limits, for example, and, you know, to pace yourself uh, properly for your own sake and for the sake of your loved one, they are all included as part of the recommendations uh, that can be, for example, you know, the education for family caregivers wouldn't necessarily have to be in full in the hospital. But family associations uh, such as Ami Quebec are probably the best place to offer programs that would uh, inform caregivers about the course of the illness, about what to expect, about resources in the community, and so on and so forth. Very good. Now, this is the last question, a little bit of a different one. I want to know what you think about the idea of Schizophrenia Community Radio offering family caregivers opportunities to describe their experiences, particularly their experiences with mobilization toolkits. In other words, I'm not being rude when I say this, I would not interview you, Ella, I'd interview a family caregiver on an episode. I'm not being negative, you know that. What do you think of that idea of bringing family caregivers in? You know, had you not said that, I would have said that because I think that it's a marvelous idea. You know, I can uh, uh, share with you my experience uh, working with caregivers for many years, but it's really the caregivers themselves uh, who can share their own stories, their own um, uh, challenges and the way they have uh, faced them and what they have done with it. So I think that if you could find caregivers who would be willing to share 
both maybe their frustration and the difficulty in accessing services, etc., but also in how they have tried to mobilize the implementation yes. of the guide, the recommendations of the guidelines, I think that it would be marvelous. And I think that this is probably going to make much bigger dent in the, you know, in, in our uh, hope that the guidelines or recommendations will be implement, implemented broadly than uh, if you speak with me. Yeah, right. I will. <laughs> I most definitely will. Right. Now, very unfortunately, we've come to the end of this great episode, Ella. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us your experience, your insight, and your opinions. And all success to you in this work. Now, You've already said this, but we spoke about schizophrenia, but the work you're doing is just as important for other serious mental illnesses. In other words, the toolkit, the work you're doing, the way you work in your association matters to all of these family caregivers, all of these illnesses. I want to say thank you to our listeners. And if anybody wants to send comments or ask questions, here's the email address to use. It's docg at familycaregiversunite.org. So, listeners, please join us for our next episode, which is Early Access to Treatment for Schizophrenia. Thank you for being with us. Talk to you next time. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you, too, have gained strength. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 